Thanks for listening to Adopted Believers. I'm your host, Daniel Nelson, and before I dive into the episode, I would like to issue a bit of an apology. Uh, recently, you know, I've moved away from doing series, going through book by book of the Bible, you know, not chronologically, you know, we jumped from different books of the Bible, and I moved from that to doing just, you know, a verse of the day almost, you know, I pick a verse and do that. And on the surface, that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, going through from one verse to another. But what I ended up doing is that I ended up getting lazy. I did not wrestle with the text as I should have. I ended up just, you know, I just, I would kind of know what the text meant, have a good idea of that and talk about that, and not actually do the hard work of diving in. Am I sure this is what this means? How does this really, you know, I use general Bible knowledge that I have, and just kind of, you know, fudged it. And, you know, that's okay if, for example, you know, you're a pastor, and you weren't planning on preaching that day, and then two people call out sick, you know, and then, oh, crud, I need to preach. You know, I mean, that's one thing. But when it becomes a habit, you know, that's not healthy. And the problem is that also impacted my walk with the Lord in that I was not wrestling with Scripture. I was just kind of, you know, taking stuff that I already knew and then just re, you know, just kind of talking. You know, God has given me a gift of being able to speak in public and to kind of think on my feet, if you will, but I use that to be lazy, to not do the hard work of wrestling with scripture. You know, I am a normal person. I need to wrestle with scripture, and I let a gift that God gave kind of, you know, just I use that to be lazy and to not wrestle with the text. So what I'm doing today is I'm starting a series in Ephesians. I'm starting a series in Ephesians, and in this we're going to go through, well, not always verse by verse, you know, we may, like today we're covering two verses, but what we're doing is we're going through Ephesians, like the good old days, and what we're going to be doing is we're going to be seeing that theology matters, that we cannot love the way we are called to if we don't have theology. This What I want us to do today is we're going to look at Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2, and we're going to be seeing the authority of this word, the universality of this word, and the blessing of this word. So, I encourage you to open your Bible as we study. We're going to be looking at Ephesians, like I said, 1, 1 through 2, in the English Standard Version, so open your Bible and follow along. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So first I want us to look at the authority of this word. And I get that from the first line. Uh, If your Bible looks like mine, there's actually three lines. So there's obviously the address, you know, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, 
to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, and then his hello, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this authority of this word, it's written by Paul, and he bases his authority in his office, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So what is an apostle? It is a specific office for the church, limited in time and space. Apostles are not around anymore. And I wouldn't say that that's controversial. Like, there's people who do believe that there's apostles. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's like saying the earth is round. I wouldn't say that's controversial, but there are people who believe the earth is flat. You know, I don't know that that means it's controversial. But there are people who believe that there's still apostles. Okay? And that's not the case. Apostles were limited in time and space, to the early church. What they did was they kick-started the church. Obviously, Jesus was, the, <laughs> Jesus was the most important person in the church. And when he went into the skies, after his ministry, death, resurrection, he ascended and he left apostles, a limited number of men who would write the New Testament. God used these men to write scripture. And he used these men to accompany this gospel with signs, signs and wonders, especially in the really early days in the church. You know, you have the day of Pentecost and you had where scripture talks about how people would want to be touched by Peter's shadow so that they could be healed. The point of this was not a magic trick. Rather, it was, you know, it was almost like a marketing thing where you know God wanted people to know about the church and what he did was he used signs you see this all the time in the old testament where where prophets would be confirmed by miraculous things and the point of these miraculous things is not that God needs to prove himself or anything like that it is that these people need to prove themselves Because, obviously, God doesn't need to prove himself, but these people do need to show that God is actually speaking through them. And so, God used these signs, he used these wonders to show that these were apostles, and that these apostles have authority. These, a good, I, good, really, picture for this is like saying, almost like a pastor to pastors. You know, in the local church, there is... You know, you've got pastors who lead the church. And then an apostle is like almost above that. Now, I'm what I'm not saying is an apostle is like a, you know, kind of Presbyterian. You know, he's over this region or this presbytery. I believe that's the right word. That's not what I'm saying. An apostle is not like the pope or he's not like, you know, he's not a pope of your region, your diocese. You know, if I'm getting, I hope I'm not butchering my church polity. I'm a Baptist, so so this is not this is not my expertise. But I, I I'm reasonably confident I'm right. And if if you're a Catholic or a Presbyterian, y'all y'all can help me out. But I'm not saying that an apostle was a Presbyterian or a Catholic. An apostle, you know, was a church leader of epic proportions, okay? And so, how did Paul become an apostle? Well, he became an apostle first by the will of God. 
apostles were not perfect. You know, you had apostles who called each other out. Not like in a Twitter sense, but they confronted each other. Paul actually confronted Peter about how he acted around Gentiles and Jews. And we do see, however, that these apostles are chosen by God's will. If you're arguing with this scripture written by these apostles, you're arguing with God. Paul or Saul, you know, he actually had two names. Saul was his name, and Paul was a name that was his Greek name. You know, there I this is a little bit of a rabbit trail. But people think that Saul had his name changed to Paul. That is not the case. We just know Saul is Paul because he focused his ministry on Gentiles. And he focused his ministry on Jews who were living in Gentile regions. Hellenistic Jews, if you want the fancy term. So, what Paul did was he was a devout Pharisee and he persecuted Christians. This was obviously before his conversion. And then God converted him on the road to Damascus. And he took, you know, he took Paul, who was the chief of sinners, the chief of sinners and, you know, the godliest by the law, which is kind of a weird paradox. But, you know, you have this, you know, abide by the law to the T. And Paul says that. And he also says he's the chief of sinners. You take this man and make him an apostle. Paul's epistle has power. This is not some writing that's good to know or a historical document. It's not like a thank you card to the Ephesians. This word is binding on our lives. We see the authority of this word. It's written by an apostle, this apostle Paul, and this epistle has power. I want us now to look at the universality of this world. This letter was written to be dispersed through churches. There's actually debate about whether this epistle was specifically written to the Ephesians. And while this epistle was most likely written to the Ephesians, what's clear is that Paul meant this letter to be read broadly. Paul knew the Ephesian church well. So if he meant this letter specifically for the Ephesians, he probably would have been more specific. But he did not. You know, he didn't say, to my good friend Joe, and to Greg, and to Bob. You know, like, he kind of did that in Romans. In Romans, ironically, Romans, he was not close with them. Like, he was, like, he spent a long time in Ephesus, or he actually had, like, one of his coolest sermons is his swan song, his last sermon to the Ephesian elders. That was... You know, he had really deep ties to the Ephesians, but he did not have any name dropping in this letter. You know, he does mention, oh gosh, I'm going to butcher his name, Tychius. <laughs> when, when I really study that, te- that portion of Ephesians, I'll get his name right. But we're going with Tychius. Oh gosh, Tychicus. I'm going to get it down by the end of this, okay? I've not studied the the phonics of Tychicus quite yet but but when we go to Ephesians 6 I'll let you know how to say it but anyways he that's like the only person that he mentions in this if I'm not mistaken so we see that this is not like a thanks so and so thanks so and so that's not what this is this is meant to be dispersed abroad this is for a almost like a church circuit you know 
the church of Ephesus sends it to the next door church, and the next door church sends it to the next door church, and so on and so forth. This letter is universal. Paul knew this Ephesian church. He didn't want it just for them. The theme of this letter is universal. What's the theme? True godliness needs true theology. I'm going to say that again. True godliness needs true theology. This epistle is divided pretty cleanly into two parts. Theology, which is chapters 1 through 3, and love. You know, now there's some... It's not just a textbook, you know. It actually reads like a sermon. And there is some thank yous here and there. But it is divided pretty cleanly into two parts. And while the church has been around for 2,000 years, this theme of true godliness and needing true theology is unchanged. This letter is authoritative and it's universal. Finally, there's blessing in this. The blessing of this word. And we get three things. Hope, stability, and joy. And this is coming from the last line. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, we receive hope. This epistle really roots us in the gospel story. Because when we think of what God is doing through history, especially as you read verses 3 through 10, and even going further, we're pointed to the gospel. And when we think about what God is doing through history, we're reminded that we will be glorified. We have a part in history. When we feel down, we can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. Stability, that's another blessing. Paul went through many life changes in his ministry. He had ministry partners leave him. He was actually imprisoned when he wrote this letter. Throughout all this, his hope did not change because his God didn't change. In life, we're going to certainly have changing circumstances, but we've got a Heavenly Father and a Savior brother. And finally, we get joy. Grace and peace are ours in God, and this gives us inexpressible joy. God's Word holds abundant riches for us, and we can't let this gift go to waste. Take joy, friends, as we study through Ephesians. Rejoice with me in learning who God is for us and why theology can change our lives. Thanks for listening to Adopted Believers. I'm really excited for where this series is going to take us. So tell this to your friends. It's one of the best ways that you can help out our podcast and support what we're doing. But without further ado, I'm going to see you all next time in our study of Ephesians.